everybody. What is going on today? My name is Michael Murray, and I am your host of the first inaugural pilot, whatever you want to call it, episode of the Sports Forum, the latest podcast bringing you all the recent sports news and headlines. Today is Friday, January 11th. Excuse me, January 10th. I don't even know the date. About 10.15 Eastern Time, and I am live with episode number one, and I'm very excited to get going here. So just a basic rundown of what this podcast is going to bring you, just you know, your recent sports news, your headlines, some scores, some game picks for future games. Uh, we might you know, discuss some betting lines, you know, some picks there, um, just, the, just the going-ons around all the major sports. Uh, my name is Michael Murray. I will be the host, bringing you all the news. Uh, we're you know we're gonna be talking about all you know every team from you know the Arizona Coyotes to the Los Angeles Lakers and every everyone in between. Um, you know each podcast. You know I'm not sure how how frequently I'll be posting, but you know it's gonna just cover you know last night's scores. You know big events coming up. So you know in today's episode we got a bunch of stuff to get to, and yeah we'll just kind of go from there and I'll give you my thoughts and uh, you know I hope you enjoy. So. You know, without further ado, you know, I think we're just going to get right in. But before before we start, I do want to preface by saying that my teams, now, now like I said, we're going to talk about every team. We're, you know, we're going to try and get to as many headlines, as many teams as we can. But my personal, you know, my four teams, you know, my basketball, baseball, football, hockey, go as such. So baseball, Red Sox. Basketball, Celtics. Football, Cowboys, and hockey, Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, you're probably wondering, those really have no geographical alignment. They're not in the same city. I know that. I really don't care. That's who I like. Deal with it. But like I said, we're going to cover every team we can get to, whoever is in the news. If it's my team, you're going to, you know, of course, hear me talk about them. Of course, I'll show a little bias, but, you know, I am a, you know, a, I am a sports guy. I'm a sports fan in general, you know, just because... You know, the Yankees make a big signing does not mean I'm not going to talk about them. We will get to anything and everything that we can to that we can in each episode. So I want to preface with saying that, you know, I hope you enjoy. And without further ado, let's get into the topics we have today for episode one. So what to expect here for episode one? You know, we had an NBA Wednesday or excuse me, an NBA Thursday night. Last night featured two big games. There are only four games on the NBA slate, but two big games. We had the Sixers and the Boston Celtics, and then we had Russell Westbrook's return to Oklahoma City as the Rockets traveled there <clears throat> for last night's game. Uh, in the baseball world, the Cardinals and the Rays made a trade, a very interesting trade, if you ask me. We're going to get into the details of that and talk about some rumors that have kind of stemmed from that deal and then we'll look ahead to the NFL weekend you know four big games divisional round always an exciting time for the NFL so we're going to look at those games kind of preview those games I'll give you some picks which will hopefully be better than my last week's picks and then I'll kind of get you know at the end I'll get to some some picks for tonight uh, if you feel like uh, make if you feel like making a couple game picks I'll, I'll tell you who I like tonight and yeah that'll pretty much be episode one and you know that that theory, that that theory, that theme, will continue as we, as we continue to move on here and, and progress in the series. So, yeah. So last night we had an NBA Thursday, 
And uh, the first game, the 76ers and the Boston Celtics, of course, fitting that the first game that I discuss features one of my teams. But uh, the Celtics have hit a, a bit of a rough patch. Um, you know, I watched that game and I, I had scary flashbacks to the, uh, the to the Kyrie Irving era. Um, you know, the, the Celtics, of course, you know, Kyrie left for Brooklyn. They picked up Kemba Walker in the trade. You know, they sent Terry Rozier to the... Uh, to the Charlotte Hornets, and uh, it's really been working out well so far. As uh, you know, Kemba's pretty much been a kid in a candy store, for lack of a better term. You know, I I don't think he was. I shouldn't say I don't think, but he definitely is not used to having guys around him like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward. And I, I think he's you know ecstatic to to know that he doesn't have to you know get out of bed on a game day and know he has to score 45 points to give his team even a slight chance of winning the ball game. So, you know, he's been, I mean, obviously, I I think a a complete upgrade from Kyrie. Um, Their ball movement has been fantastic. Um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both starting to finally play like their true selves because now they're, you know, they've been given the opportunity to possess the basketball, have it in their hands, get screens for them, you know, attack the basket, shoot the three, and everything in between. Whereas Kyrie, when he was with the Celtics, his game plan was, I'm going to go one-on-one. And if it fails, I'm going to kick out to one of you two. And that, that's what they were. They were kick-out guys. They were plan Bs. Not the case anymore. Kemba is happy to give them the ball. <clears throat> Excuse me. And let them play and let them do their thing. And, you know, that that is the Celtics team we want to see. That's the Celtics team I want to see. And it's certainly the one Brad Stevens wants to see. But, you know, in the last, you know, they've had a, this is their first three-game losing streak in a while. And, uh, you know, the the ball movement has disappeared. And, you know, there's been some bad losses. You know, the Wizards lost, tough loss. You know, that's a Wizards team that you should not lose to, um, especially with Bradley Beal not playing in that game. And then, you know, two nights ago you had, or excuse me, yeah, two nights ago, uh, the Spurs lost. I mean, Kemba got ejected in that game. I, you know, I didn't get a chance to watch it. But last night, you know, watching that Sixers game, it was all iso ball. You know, it was come down, set a screen, top of the key. If that didn't work, you know, someone was going to try and go one on one. And even without Joel Embiid, um, you know, the Sixers pretty much handled that ball game. And you know, the Celtics were up fifteen. They were up by fifteen points. And they just, you know, second half started and the Sixers went on a run and kind of never looked back. And then they sealed it in the fourth quarter with a late run. And, you know, the knock on the Celtics was going into the season that, you know, their size was going to be an an impact. You know, of course, Al Horford left Boston, went to Philly, and, you know, he had a pretty solid, I think it was the first time in three weeks he put up 15 points. He had 17 points in the game. Um... And the Celtics, even without Joel Embiid, even without the 7-1 center, you know, the star center for the the 76ers, the Celtics still struggled with their size. And, you know, Ben Simmons was having a field day in the post, um, you know, backing guys down. And, you know, the, the Celtics, if they are going to make a run, believe me, I, be, I, I think unbiased that the Celtics are a top three team right now in the East, them, the Sixers, and Milwaukee. Um but right now they are third on that totem pole, and you know it's because of their size. Um, that and that is not a knock on Daniel Tice or Ennis Cantor. 
those are two very capable ball players, and you know I like what they bring to the table. You know, Tice has really improved. You know, from the outside, his game, and you know he he's gonna bang uh, on the inside on the boards, and you know, and his canter. You know, he makes a living off that. He's you know, you know, he's a guy that'll go out. You know, might only score eight or ten points, but he's gonna grab fifteen or sixteen rebounds and really be a presence on the inside. But you know, that's all they have. And then you look at the bench. You know, you got Marcus Smart coming off the bench. You know, he's been the sixth man for a while, and I love Marcus Smart. He, he, he Last night, he was he was giving me some headaches on the offensive end, you know, because he, you know, the thing with him is when he gets hot shooting, he decides to just keep shooting and keep shooting and keep shooting, and he forces some bad shots, and he did that last night. And, you know, in a game where you're, you're kind of struggling and, you know, the other team's going on a run, it's really not what you need. But, you know, his defense, his energy, you know, I love that coming off the bench. But then after that... It kind of gets a little thin. You know, Grant Williams has shown some signs, but Grant Williams is an undersized four. Let's be honest with ourselves. He's He he has the muscle, but he's an undersized four, and they got him playing Al Horford. That's not a matchup the Celtics want, and that's not a matchup you're going to win. You know, let's be honest with ourselves. That's not a matchup you're going to win, you know, time and time again on the defensive end. Sure, he might stop him every now and then, but he's not going to consistently stop Al Horford or anybody of Al Horford's size and skill set. And, and then, you, you know, you have semi-Ojal, I don't even know how to say his last name, but you'll know who I'm talking about. You know, he you know he's a guy that will space the floor, but, you know, his shooting is so-so. His his defense is, is iffy. You know, he's an eh. He's eh. You know, you, one word that comes to mind when you think about semi-Ojale, I think his name is, is eh. So that's not, you know, there's no depth. You know, Romeo Langford showing some signs, but, you know, he's not a guy you're going to put in. He's not a guy that you feel comfortable going to the bench, going to put in the game, you know, let's say if, if Smart's in foul trouble or if Kemba's in foul trouble or in another situation like that. And besides Tyson Cantor, there's not a lot of size on that team. So the Celtics are a move away from really, really progressing and really kind of establishing themselves as the class of the East. Now, there's, you know, of course, they, in my opinion, if they are serious about going for a title this season— they have to go get a big man at them. Now, I've heard some rumors about Andre Drummond. I would love Andre Drummond to be in a Boston Celtics uniform, but I do think that the asking price for him would be way too much. You know, I think it would involve a Jalen Brown or even a Marcus Smart, and I don't think that would be wise on the Celtics' part because the Celtics can compete. You know, the, the, the East is a weak conference. I mean, the Miami Heat are playing very good basketball. The Toronto Raptors have surprised a lot of people after losing Kawhi, they're playing really good basketball. But the Celtics can play with those teams. It's the Bucks and the Sixers that really give the Celtics issues. And, I mean, the Bucks give everybody issues because no one can stop Giannis Antetokounmpo. But if they want to make a real run at this, at this season, they have to go get a big man. I've heard Drummond. I've heard Dwayne Dedman from the Kings. I don't, I, I don't know how I feel about Dwayne Dedman. I don't know how, much I, how comfortable I feel about giving up a lot of guys for Dwayne Dedman. But he's another guy I've heard. Um, yeah. So for the Celtics, and, you know, even if you don't go get a big man, you know, I've been saying this. I don't know how much other people have been saying this, but this is what I believe. Even if you just go get a bench guy, a guy that can come off the bench and score points. Look, Grant Williams can play some good defense. He's not going to stop guys that are bigger than him or, you know, more physical than him. 
But he, you know, he will provide solid defense, and he can shoot a little bit of the three ball. Romeo Langford is very athletic. He'll provide athleticism on the defensive end. He'll even go get some defensive rebounds. But none of these guys coming off the bench can score. So if, even if you don't get a big man, if you go get a three man or a, you know a three four kind of stretch wing guy, and and, I, and I'm not going to name any names because I don't know who's available for who. You know, I I'm still trying to figure out who's sellers and who's buyers and whatever at the deadline. But if there's a three-man or a four-man available that can score the basketball, you go get him and bring him off the bench. Even that is an improvement. Because now you can feel comfortable going to your bench and still know that there's a guy that can score. You know, you take Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum out of the game, suddenly your scoring for the Celtics gets a little iffy. And that's not what you want for your team, especially against a team like the Sixers, who are a lot deeper. And a lot of people I don't think understand that about the Sixers. But, you know, James Ennis... It's a very viable scoring option. Josh Richardson had 29 points last night. You know, where did that come from? So, you know, it's these teams. And then and you look at the Bucks. You know, Eric, or not Eric Gordon. Eric Bledsoe. Another guy. I mean, he's not a bench guy. But you know what I'm trying to say. Pat Connington. Those guys. Those are guys that you come off the bench. You feel comfortable that they're going to be able to put the ball in the basket. I don't have that right now with the Boston Celtics. So that's what they need to do. If they want any shot here to really compete in this Eastern Conference and compete in the NBA in general, you know, compete for a title. Because I think they have what, you know, I think that right now that core, that four-man that four man core of Hayward, Brown, Tatum, and Kemba can compete for an NBA title, but they just need a little extra help. And hey, you know what? If Danny Ainge wants to say, you know, maybe this, this isn't the year, we're going to wait till next year, we're going to go try and get a free agent, excuse me, or draft a guy or whatever, I'm okay with that. I can live with that. I can live with us, you know, making the semifinal, Eastern semis, maybe even the Eastern finals, if, you know, if, if, uh, if whatever permits. But, you know, I, what, what am I getting at? You know, I can live with that. But then the offseason, then I have to see them make a move. And I think they will, because I, you know, nobody knows better than Danny Age what the Celtics need. You know, he's done a great job with that, with that franchise. But, you know, a move has to be made. This Celtics team right now cannot compete for an NBA title. But they're one or two moves away from being there. Now, let's flip to the other side of the coin and look at the Philadelphia 76ers. You've got to give a lot of credit here to this Philadelphia 76ers team. You know, they are a team that was a lot of people were predicting to go to the finals this year. You know, you got Embiid and Simmons, you know, finally playing at the levels that everyone expected them to. You know, they're expected to be a finals team or, you know, go to the Eastern Conference Finals, make a deep playoff run. And they really haven't played to that standard so far. You know, Embiid's been hurt. And now Embiid is having uh, hand surgery or thumb surgery, something like that. Um, and that's going to sideline him for a little while. But right now, you look at the Sixers team, you know, 25 and 14, they're fifth in the Eastern Conference. They wouldn't even host... They wouldn't even have home court advantage right now in a playoff series. You know, if we're throwing it out there, if the playoffs were to start today, the Bucks would play the Nets, the Heat would play the Magic, the Celtics would play the Pacers, and the Raptors would host the Sixers. That's not where this that's not where these people that's not where experts, analysts, whatever you want to call them, projected the Sixers right now. But last night, they took care of business in Boston. They kind of imposed their will, even without Joel Embiid, which is the key. They beat the Celtics. They clinched the season series with the Celtics, which they haven't done since 2013. 
is that is this the turning point for them? Is this the turning point where they can get some momentum and finally make that push towards the top of the Eastern Conference? Because you know the Miami Heat are good, but can they sustain this for eighty two games? I don't know. The Celtics are going to stay up there. The Bucks are going to stay up there. The Heat and the Raptors are, are, are the two question marks. If they can continue this, then suddenly the Eastern Conference gets a lot more interesting. And you have to pay a lot more attention to it. But I don't know if they can do it. But can the Sixers use this win, a home win against the Celtics? Because everyone knows that and the Sixers hate the Celtics. And the Sixers, excuse me, the Celtics for the longest time, as you know, as evidenced by that stat, have the Celtics num- have the Sixers number, even in Philly. So is this the turning point? And I think that this period without Joel Embiid is a crucial period for this team. Is Because this can be a time for Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris, who everyone is waiting on to finally be worth the money that they gave him. Is this the time where they can step up and say, all right, we're going to be the leaders for now. We're going to get you through the, We're going to get us through this time. Really step up and play to their true full potential. Because if that happens and then Joel Embiid comes back, this is a scary Sixers team. And let's not forget about Al Horford. So this is a really crucial period for the 76ers. And if we look, you know, if we look up quick their their upcoming schedule, I mean we got a month till the all-star break. But if we look up their schedule here, you know, they got the Mavericks tomorrow. That's another good test for them. You know, can they, you know, without Joel, can they handle Kristaps? Can can they play with Luka Doncic? That's gonna be a very important game to watch. But then after that, you got the Pacers, the Nets, the Bulls, the Knicks, and the Nets again. That can easily be... The Sixers can can go on a run right here. They can go on a run and get themselves in towards All-Star Weekend, pushing the top top three in the conference, if you ask me. Because that Pacers game could be a win. They should beat the Nets twice, they should beat the Knicks, and they should beat the Bulls. So last night... It, you know, it, I think at the end of the season, if the Philadelphia 76ers are, you know, top three in the Eastern Conference, we're going to look back on that win last night against the Boston Celtics and really use that as, as the turning point of this season where they finally establish themselves as, the, as one of the classes of the Eastern Conference without their biggest player, without Joel Embiid, both physically and literally and mentally. And, you know, as, that, as the turning point. That's what I believe. So that, that was that game. That's what I saw in that game. And for the Celtics, you know, going back, believe me, you know, they were 25-8, and eight, now they're 25-11. and 11. I did not expect this team to go 74-8 by any stretch of the imagination. Every team hits a skid. They just need to go back, kind of relax a little bit, watch some, you know, maybe go watch an old game film from, a, you know, a week or two ago and say, hey, let's start moving the ball around. Because when they share the ball and everyone's getting some good looks, it's a beautiful thing to watch. So, you know, I'm not really, I'm not going to press the panic button on the Boston Celtics yet. Because, you know, if, if we go to their schedule real quick. You know, they got the Pelicans, the Bulls, the Pistons before they play Milwaukee. So that's three winnable games right there. And then, you know, they got the Bucks in Milwaukee on a back-to-back. That's going to be a tough game for them. But, you know, these Pelicans, Bulls, and Pistons, they can pick up three wins right there. So I'm not going to press the panic button with the Celtics. So that was the first game. Let's go to the second game now. Let's go to the uh, OKC-Houston game. And, you know, this was the big emotional night, 
you know, Russell Westbrook, his first game back in Oklahoma City, you know, obviously a city he played 11 years in, gave, you know, gave his heart and soul to. Um, I was really surprised with this game. You know, I was watching, you know, you're watching the pregame with, uh, with Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley, and Shaq picked the Rockets by 20, and, you know, Barkley disagreed with him. This was a shocking game for me. And I got to give a ton of credit to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I got to give a lot of credit to Billy Donovan as a head coach. Because here's a guy, here, Billy Donovan, here's a guy comes out of Florida, tired by the Thunder. He gets, it, he gets this team with Steven Adams, Paul George, Russell Westbrook, a team that really should have done more than they did, and they don't go anywhere. They don't go to the finals. They don't win the finals. They don't win the West, anything like that. And then this offseason, they trade Paul George, get back Danilo Gallinari, Shea, Gil- Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and every draft pick in the world. And now you're like, okay, so now the Thunder and Chris Paul, too. And now the Thunder, or I'm sorry, and then they traded Westbrook to the Rockets to get Chris Paul. And that whole trade, so now you're like, okay, the Rockets have officially entered full rebuild mode. You know, and Billy Donovan is just going to be the guy to kind of just go down with this ship. And Billy Donovan has this team playing at an unbelievable level. And Chris Paul is really out to prove something. Because he he feels disrespected after that deal in Houston. You know, he I think he feels that Houston kind of gave up on him a little early. He's got this team playing. Excuse me one second. He's got this team 22 and 16. They're the seventh seed right now in the Western Conference. And I gotta tell you, right now, if the playoffs started today, they'd play the Nuggets. I wouldn't want to be the Denver Nuggets. Because I don't want to go play in Chesapeake Energy Arena. That is a home court advantage that I don't think a lot of people understand in the NBA. That's a tough place to play in. And I would not want to play there in a playoff series. I would be scared. Right now, I would, you know, I could easily see the Thunder. If the if they were playing the Nuggets, I could see them beat the Nuggets in six or seven games. Because they looked really good last night. And that could have, you know, you get a lot of credit to their team. That could have easily been a game where, you know, they had the big you know, five-minute video for Russ. And, you know, they just kind of sat back and, you know, said, oh, you know, we're, we miss you, we missed you, Russ, blah, 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 and lost that game. But as soon as that video ended, it was game time. And this wasn't one of those games that was kind of neck and neck for three quarters and then, you know, there was that 11-0 run with three minutes to go on the fourth that clinched it. No, this was a game that was dominated by the Thunder from 12 minutes to zero on the clock in the fourth quarter. I, I watched almost the whole game, and there was no, never a period where I was like, okay, this, you know, okay, is this the is this the run the Rockets go on to get back? Never had that. The Thunder dominated this game from start to finish, and it was very impressive. And Danilo Gallinari, gotta give a lot of credit to this guy. I don't think a lot of people, a, I don't think a lot of people realize how good he is. You know, because he was with the Knicks, he was with the Nuggets, never really stood out. With the Clippers, same thing. Gets traded. That was that. That's a good piece in their lineup. Seventeen points last night. Six of seventeen shooting. Shea Gilders Alexander. You know the two pieces from that Paul George deal. Twenty two points. You know Stephen Adams. You know twelve boards, six points. Classic Stephen Adams. Chris Paul, fifteen. Came on in the in the second half. Um, you know six of fourteen shooting for him. Dennis Schroeder, 22 points off the bench. So this is a team, this is a Thunder team that is sneaky good. And give a ton of credit 
to Billy Donovan for the for the job that he did that he's doing right now. You know, you know, after all the things he went through with George and Westbrook and not being able to do anything with that team and taking this team that theoretically should be in re you know it was considered to be in rebuild. He's got them playing at playoff level right now. So a lot of credit to this Thunder team. And like I said, that is not a team that I want to play in the playoffs. And you know, the other thing you got to look at, they got every draft pick till you know 2046 in the Paul George deal. You know, the Clippers gave him so many draft picks. Can they use one of those to get another piece at the deadline? And let me if they do. Watch out for this Thunder team. I Believe me, I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to win the West. I'm not saying they're going to go to the finals. But watch them to be a sneaky five or six. You know, I, I think right now they're, they're going to stay at a seven or eight. If they go get a piece at the deadline, and it could be anybody. I mean, I don't think they need a big man. They got Noel. They got Adams. I, I think another maybe another shooting guard. Because they got Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander... Gilgis is more of a point guard at heart, in my opinion. They don't really have a true two-man, because Gallinari kind of serves more as a three. They go get you know a two-man or just another, an extra piece. They could move up to a five or six spot, in my opinion. And I, like I said, that is not a team I want to play in the first round. Obviously a long way to go, but that's my thoughts on the Thunder. We go to the other side here in the Rockets, and Russell Westbrook had a great ball game. He had 21 points. Harden finished with 40, but they were, you know, 3 of 14 from three-point land, 8 of 21 from the field. He was 21 of 22 from the free-throw line, so half his points came from the line. And as a team, they were 10 of 44 from three-point land. You know, you're not going to win games doing that. And, I don't know, this was just, it, it, it was a, you know, obviously... I feel Harden, if if anything, what I, what I noticed with Harden last night is that he is the pulse of that Rockets team. Because it, it, it seemed to me that when he was started missing threes, I mean, the dude had 40 points. I'm not going to discredit that. But, you know, he went on some, some stretches where he missed a lot of looks. And I feel like, you know, with him, when he's off, the whole team is off. Because I almost feel as if they, the Rockets are now, you know, they're going to assume, oh, he's going to have, he's going to go get 40. So they kind of sit back and kind of wait for him to go put up 40. And when he doesn't, they go, uh-oh, you know, net, net, you know now we got to play. And then it's too late. You know, P.J. Tucker at 17 points. That's, you know, 5 of 7 from 3. Um, Westbrook, you know, 21 and 12. Almost a triple-double. Um, you know, Clint Capella only had seven rebounds. So I don't know. It, it was just a really flat performance from the Rockets, in my opinion. And I think, believe me, Russell, there's, there's no, as far as talent goes, Russell Westbrook and James Harden, that is an unbelievable duo. But when things get bad, you know, it can get bad with them. Because when they go cold, there's no, there's, excuse me, there's no, like, okay shooting night with James Harden, I feel like. I feel like with him, it's either I'm going to you know shoot the lights out or I'm going to go ice cold. Now, granted, he does do a good job making up for those ice cold nights by getting to the free throw line. We saw this last night. 
you know, 3 of 14 from 3, but 21 of 22 from the foul line. So he does make up for it, but there's no middle ground here with this with this Rockets team. If hard, you know, if if they're on, they're on. If they're off, they're off. There's no eh shooting night. And, you know, coming down the stretch, that could be a problem. And, you know, when I when I think about them and I compare them to the, the Lakers, let's say, sure, the Lakers have their duo. They have LeBron and AD. But they they incorporate their weapons, their, their other I – wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say weapons, but they incorporate their other, their other players more. You know, the, you know, they give the ball to Avery Bradley. You know, they let Rajon Rondo go to the rim. They give it to Caruso. They give it to uh, KCP. Harden and Westbrook don't really do that too much. Westbrook more than Harden. But Harden's the prototypical, I'm going to shoot my way out of a slump. But maybe try to dish it more to P.J. Tucker or Eric Gordon or Daniel House or feed Capella more. You know, try and do a little something more to get your other guys involved because then that's less pressure on you. Plus, it makes... You know, the thing with Harden, when he's going for 40 and everyone else has nine in the game, chances are you're going to get double-teamed and triple-teamed. Everyone's expecting you to score. If you get your other teammates involved and suddenly Capella's got 15, Gordon's got 17, blah, 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 blah. Now it's like, okay, I can't double-team you because he's red-hot too. And that's going to create more lanes for you. And you see where I'm getting at. So I don't know. I don't know what this Rockets team. You know, I... I I like them, but at the same time, there's still some, I don't know, there's still some kinks I think there to be ironed out. But I guess that I I guess that's the 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 trade off with with playing with you know with having James Harden. You're, yes, you're gonna get forty points. You know the guy's averaging thirty eight. You know you're gonna get a forty point night pretty much every night, and that's great. But you know when there's nights that he's not shooting well, and you're you know. The lack of getting other guys involved, getting them in the flow of the offense, is a little is is, is kind of scary. So, so that was my thoughts on that, and just you know, for the heck of it, Rockets twenty five and twelve. They would play the Jazz right now. There, they'd be the four seed behind the Clippers, Nuggets, and the Lakers. Um, so we got a couple of games tonight. Um, excuse me one second while I pull those up. A couple of NBA games tonight. It's a ESPN doubleheader. There's, there's a bunch of NBA games tonight, but the, the two primetime ones, one is the Pelicans and the Knicks. So this is really, this was expected to be um, Zion against RJ. Um, that's, I mean, obviously what ESPN had in mind scheduling this game. Of course, Zion is out, so it just becomes another pointless Knicks game. But we get to see RJ Barrett on... A more on a, on a prime time scale, which is good for him. Good to, for him to get some exposure. Um, and then we have the Lakers and the Mavericks. That's gonna follow. Um, that's gonna be an interesting game to see. I'm I'm excited to, to check some of that out. Um, kind of see how you know the Kristaps versus AD matchup, how that plays out, and of course you know LeBron and Luca. So that's gonna be an exciting game. I think you know I I believe it's in. In LA, no, excuse me, it's in Dallas. But um, I, I think the Lakers, I think the Lakers will come out with this one. 
just because of their their extra weapons, you know, Danny Green and those guys, I think the Lakers will take this game. But other NBA picks, um, the Heat are playing the Nets, and the Heat are only giving my are giving three and a half. I'd take the Heat all day, give those points. Um, you know, the Nets have been. I mean, obviously, no one expected the Nets to win this year because Kyrie, or not Kyrie, KD is out, and you know, Kyrie's been banged up the whole season. Whatever, I don't like him. Um, Anyway, Heat's given three and a half. I'd take those, you know, give those points. I think the Heat will cover that easily. Um, And there was one other game. Actually, no, that was it. Yeah, so there's my NBA pick for the night. You know, Heat minus three and a half. I think that's a pretty easy line for them to cover. Heat are playing really good basketball. You know, Jimmy Butler is, you know... His consistent self, um, Bam Adebayo, has really come out of nowhere. I didn't take him out of nowhere. He's really established himself as a as a dominant big man. And Kendrick Nunn, you know, no one thought this guy was going to be doing what he's doing. You know, he's putting up a lot of points, scoring really well. Another really another threat for them. And Tyler Hero's been shooting the lights out. So that's a Heat team, and he, you know, a ton of credit to Eric Spolstra. You know, he. I think people almost kind of forget he's still a coach. After the whole big three thing, you know, he was, of course, that guy, and he did good things with that team, but he's really done a good job, even with before this year, just kind of keep, not even, you know, I'm not, not, I'm not saying that because, you know, he brought the heat to a title or anything, but he's kind of just kept them afloat, if you know what, if you know what I'm trying to say, you know, they haven't really, like, plummeted, and they've always been kind of middle of the pack, and of course, they benefited from a weaker Eastern Conference, but still, the Heat team is a team to watch out for. You know, it's kind of a dark horse. I mean, I shouldn't say dark horse. They're the freaking two seed right now in the in the Eastern Conference. But I think they can cover that three and a half against Brooklyn pretty easily. Even though it's in Brooklyn, I still think he'd take that one all day. So let's shift now. We're going to shift over to the MLB realm. And yesterday, uh, there was a trade made. You know, there's been some... There's been a lot of buzz in the recent weeks. Not about trades, just about signings and... Excuse me, who's going to get Josh Donaldson and all this other stuff? Well, there's a trade made, and it was between two teams that really haven't been in the news too much. And, uh, yeah, so the Cardinals and the Tampa Bay Rays made a trade, and the Cardinals sent uh, Jose Martinez, a minor league outfielder named Randy Arozarena, and a Comp A pick to the Rays, and the Rays sent them back Matt Liberatore, a low-level catching prospect, and his name was Edgardo Rodriguez, and a comp B pick to the Cardinals. So, if we kind of break this down, Jose Martinez um, has been with the Cardinals for a little while now. Um, he's a he's an outfielder, but he also plays some first base. He's a bit of a platoon man. Um. You know, hasn't didn't really put up any thrilling numbers. Um, twenty eighteen, uh, you know, seventeen bombs, uh, eighty three ribbies, a two point four WAR. Um, he's kind of a middle of the pack guy. His defense is lackluster. He's, he's bigger guy. He's kind of slow. So not you know, I'd I'd call him a liability in the outfield, but he will get the job done at the plate. Um, Randy Rosarena. Take a look at, at him. Um, so he was um, 
you know, he, he spent a little bit of time. He played 19 games for the Cardinals in last last year. Um, before that, he had posted 12 homers and 38 home, 38 ribbies. Let me try that again. He posted 12 homers and 38 ribbies in 64 games in AAA for the Cardinals. And he before that, he kind of bounced around AA and AAA. Um, so average-wise, you know, he hit 309. Excuse me, he hit 358 in those 64 games. So a pretty good prospect there. You know, the it has been... The rumors surrounding Tampa were that they were looking for some outfield bats after losing Tommy Pham to the Padres in the offseason. So they got a guy in Martinez. I mean, he doesn't bring necessarily the defensive prowess that Pham had and certainly not the offensive in terms of um, you know, power numbers and stuff like that. But it, it, it's a guy you can stick in the lineup and, and you know, he will he'll get you a base hit, you know, and stuff like that. Um terms of walks, you know, Martinez not really a he's a, he's more of a swinger. But uh yeah, so those are the two guys that the Cardinals sent to Tampa. But the big name involved here was uh, Matt Liberatore. He is the number two or three prospect for the Tampa or was the two or three prospect for the Tampa Bay Rays. Um of course number one is Wander Franco, the shortstop who has a little bit more time before he gets there, and then Brendan McKay. But uh, according to... Oh. So right now he's on he's number three um, on MLB.com's prospect watch for the Cardinals. Uh, he was already taken off the Rays one. But uh, yeah, so this is, a, this is a guy, really a solid left-handed pitcher. A really good arm. Um As we pull up his his numbers here, yeah. So you know he's got a fifty, you know, fifty fastball, uh, fifty five curve, fifty changeup, forty five slider. So you know, four pitch repertoire for him. Um, you know, he only it, last year he made it to A ball. He was six and two with a uh, with a three point one ERA. And a K rate, K per nine of eight point seven three. So that's really impressive. Um, he still has a little bit, a little ways to go. I mean, obviously only made it to A ball, but uh, I mean, I would expect him to kind of keep developing and you know hopefully get to double A, definitely to double A, maybe even triple A by the end of the year. We'll have to monitor that. Um, and then Edgardo Rodriguez, he's a guy. He spent most of last year in in the Gulf Coast League and rookie ball. He's only nineteen years old, so definitely not going to hear his name for a while, but. It was an interesting pickup for the for the Cardinals. They kind of bolstered their minor league system a little bit. If you know the Cardinals have a boatload of right-handed prospects down on the farm, so this kind of added the you know the other side. They got a southpaw now, and uh, you know their outfield. You look at the Cardinals. Out, the Cardinals outfield is set. You know they got Bader in center, Tyler O'Neill in left field, and then Dexter Fowler. Is over and right, so you know that's a pretty set outfield. You know Harrison Bader has been really underrated, in my opinion, for the past couple of years. And Tyler O'Neill, um, they're you know the Cardinals even said they're expecting a big things out of him because the Rays had inquired about him originally in this deal, but the Cardinals said no. You know they have big plans for him, um, so it's a bit of an interesting move. I mean, obviously, you know Libertor is not going to make the. 
major league team this year, barring some unforeseen circumstance or just you know him going off. But I can't foresee that happening. But you know, like I said, they get you know they got a ton of a ton of right-handed pitchers in that St. Louis farm system. But then you look at the rotation, you got you know you got Miles uh, Nicholas, Jack Flaherty, Wainwright, Daniel Hut or Dakota Hudson, and uh, Kim. Excuse me, one second. Quang Hyun Kim. So you know he's if we run through that again. Nicholas, righty, Flaherty, righty, Wainwright, righty, Dakota Hudson, righty, and then Kim is a lefty. So that lat, you know, in, in terms of the minor league system, that's a that's a good pickup for them. You know, they they get a guy, a top prospect, left-handed pitcher. You know, it, it it's important now, especially in today's game. You know, lefties are few and far between. So I like the pickup for the Rays. It's an interesting move. Um, you know, we've always known the Rays to kind of be more of a prospect-centric organization, you know, big analytics group. Um, but, you know, knowing knowing that about the Rays, we know that, that they obviously know a lot of stuff that we don't. And I'm sure they have numbers on, you know, Rosarena and Martinez, and I'm sure they're going to, you know, the player development system is going to kick in and they're going to try and help them out and, you know, maybe fix some things, make them better ball players. So, you know... It's it's one of those deals where you kind of just look at it on the surface and go, you know, just kind of go, okay, interesting. And then once the season starts, you can really, you know, it's a trade you kind of revisit and say, okay, you know, how's Jose Martinez doing? Is uh, has a Rona, has a Rosarena got you know, a ton of MLB at bats, stuff like that. You know, how's Libertor doing down in Double A or Double A Single A wherever he's at? So you know, interesting move, and also it's something to pay attention to. What does the what do those compensation picks, compensatory picks, turn into? Because you never know what can happen in terms of that. Now, an interesting rumor that I heard after this trade was made was that uh, so Hyden Bloom, he's the new general manager for the Red Sox. I heard that when he was with Tampa, because that's where he came from, he really liked this Matt Libertor. He was big fan of him. You know, loved the kid. You know, obviously was in his system, whatever. So people were kind of hinting at, well, is now is there a trade with the is the Red Sox are the Red Sox planning a trade with the Cardinals? Because now you know they they traded Libertor there. He really likes Libertor. Are they going to make a deal for him? Now I don't think that's going to happen. But my mind starts thinking. I love to think about trades and possible scenarios. So I thought. You know, what if, you know, what if they're considering to give Mookie Betts over there? Of course, the buzz around the Red Sox is, are they going to trade Mookie Betts? Or are they going to trade David Price? Because, you know, the ownership's made it very clear that they want to cut salary. And, you know, they're obviously, if they are going to keep Mookie, he's going to want to get paid next year. Now, but I'm going to preface this by saying, I don't think that's going to happen. Hands down. But, if it were... You know, I, I kind of came up with a little trade scenario in my head. So if we gave Mookie Betts to the Cardinals, I would expect them to give us something back. First of all, you got to get an outfielder back. Now, they've made it public that they don't want to give up Tyler O'Neill. So maybe not Tyler O'Neill, but uh, Dylan, Dylan Carlson is his name. He, right now, according to MLB.com, is the number one prospect in the Cardinals system. He's an outfielder. He's a switch hitter. Uh, played 18 games in AAA, five homers, nine RBIs, hit 281 in AA in 108 games, 
21 homers, 59 RBIs. An isolated batting average, an ISO power batting average of 237, which doesn't sound good, but for that stat, ISO power, it's unreal. So he's really got he's got some pop in the bat. A 364 on base percentage, 518 slugging, 142 weighted runs created plus. So this is a guy that can hit the baseball. And his speed, you know, attains that. You know, 50, 50 speed, which is really, really good for a prospect. He's 21 years old, so I think the Red Sox would, would want him. Um, they would want him. Could they also get O'Neal? That would be the question. Now, I got to think if you're the Cardinals and you're going to get Mookie Betts, you would give up Tyler O'Neill because Tyler O'Neill's good, but you're getting Mookie Betts. So, you know... You know, something's got to give there. And I think that would happen. Now, I'm going to go back and say, I don't think this is going to happen, but it's fun to think about if it did. So you have those two guys, maybe you get both, maybe you only get one. Then I think they would dive into some of the pitching prospects. There's a couple guys down in A-ball that have looked really good. Um, let me see if I can pull, let me pull up the names here. Yeah, if you look at the Cardinals prospects here, there's like, five or six right-handed pitchers in a row. Um, if we take a look. Yeah, so Tommy Parsons is a name. He actually went, he came out of Division Three, went undrafted. But he was 40-4 and four in 44 career Division Three starts. Um, you know, kind of struggled in double-A ball, but he's got some, he, he's a guy, doesn't throw very hard, but he's very, intuitive with his pit he's very into his pitch sequencing knows how to get you know knows how to attack hitters how to get hitters out and use his pitch sequences to do that he's 24 years old he did play he started one game in triple a last year got hit around a little but you know you know he's an idea um another guy looked that was a uh, was andre Pallant. You know, he's only in, in short A ball, so he's got a long way to go. He's 21 years old. MLB has him arriving in MLB 2022. Another guy, can he, he, he can turn it up to 96, 97. His fastball's got a little sink. Um, he's good. One of the things that they noted was he's really, really good with pitching backwards to hitters. He can really kind of attack first with the curve or with the slide, with the slide piece, then go to the heater. So, you know, these are just ideas. So I think the Red Sox, if you're going to trade Mookie Betts, you have to you have to say, okay, do we want talent that's ready right now to play in the MLB? Or do we, like, you know, do we want names that people are going to know? Or do we want to commit to the future and get some lower-level guys who are in A-ball, double-A ball, may not play in the MLB for a couple of years, but when they do, they're going to be studs. Because I think it differs. If you are going to say to a team, hey, I want MLB-ready talent, I want names, you're not going to get as many pieces. But you're going to get pieces that can produce right away. Or if you want the future game plan, you want to get lower-level guys that have potential, I think you can get more pieces for that. Now the Cardinals, I don't, you know, the Cardinals don't need Mookie Betts, and I, I, that's why I keep saying I don't think this is ever going to happen. But that's what it would take. That I think that's the mindset that the Red Sox have to have. 
You can go two direction. You can go with the ready now, big name guys you can stick right in the lineup on opening day, but not get as many. You know, not get three, four, five guys, maybe only one or two. Or you can go the other direction, maybe get three or four guys, but at least three of them are going to be guys that you're not going to see till 2021, 2022. And hey, Bloom and his team, they know more stuff than I do. They have more numbers than I do. So it's, you know, and I also say this, I don't think the Red Sox are going to trade Mookie Betts anytime soon. I, I think you'll see him on the opening day roster. I really think they're just going to try and play out one more season with him. Because now that they have Martinez back, I think David Price is the more is the more prime talent that's going to be moved before Mookie. But if, they're, if they are thinking of trading him, those are the mindsets I think you have to have. So the Cardinals and Rays, that's their deal. And of course, I just made it into a Red Sox tangent. But... I thought it was interesting, but I don't think anything's going to happen. I think that's just going to be a trade, and we can revisit this in, in June, July, and see where it, where it turned out. You know, who knows? Maybe Jose Martinez loves hitting in Tropicana Field, and he starts hitting 300 with 25 bombs. Who knows? We'll take a look back later on. Moving on to the NFL. Big weekend. Divisional weekend. Four great games on the slate. Now, last week, of course, I didn't have a podcast last week, but the picks I did make were one and three. I only got the Seahawks. And I think a lot of people can agree with me on that because I don't think a lot of people took the Titans. And I certainly don't think a lot of people took Minnesota. And that Bills game was just horrendous. But I took Buffalo. So, if we go to the games... So let's start with, you know, tomorrow, 435. We got the Vikings and the 49ers. I'm very excited for this football game. You know, the 49ers. I don't think anyone saw the San Francisco 49ers coming out and going 13 and 3 and winning the West and getting the one seed. But they did. But the Minnesota Vikings, let me tell you, that is a good team. The Minnesota Vikings solidified themselves last week. They went into the Superdome. They held Drew Brees to 20 points, and they won that game. And that was an impressive win, especially for Kirk Cousins. And really give a lot of credit to Kirk Cousins. This is a guy who, after week four, I think it was, was getting so much crap from the media, from Minnesota fans, whatever. And he just responded and went out for the next, you know, 13 weeks, except for week 16 when they laid an egg against the Packers, and balled out. You know, he had that offense clicking, and he still does. A lot of credit to him. And you know what? I'm going with the Vikings in this one. I think the Minnesota Vikings... Now, here's the key. Here's the X factor to this football game. Dalvin Cook. Because what we, what we know about the San Francisco 49ers is that they are going to try and control the game, control the clock, you know, win the time of possession battle with their with their run with their running back trio or duo. But Dalvin Cook can easily do that on Minnesota's side. If Minnesota can sustain drives, control clock, 
and get Dalvin Cook going, they're going to win this football game. I think Kirk Cousins can get back on track with Stephon Diggs, who's going to have to be a big factor because we know Adam Thalen kind of, he's got an ankle cut or whatever. So we don't know if he's going to be 100%. I think they get back on track. I think Dalvin Cook can control the clock, control the game with his running, and I think the Vikings win this game. Now, I need to pull up the lines quick. So the Niners right now, they're minus seven. I don't know about that. I think even if you think the Niners are going to win straight up, I would take the Vikings getting seven. Because regardless of the outcome, that game is going to be close. I don't see it. And I don't envision that game becoming a blowout. Um, 44 and a half. I might, I'm, I'm, I might go the under here. Uh, I could see this becoming, you know, the. I could see this being a low score. And the other thing you got to think about with the Vikings is their run defense is superb. You know, they had a they put a ton of pressure on Drew Brees. And granted the Niners O line is a little better than the Saints, but still. If it if they can stop the run and control the and control the clock with their running game, they're gonna win this game. And they're gonna go to the NFC title. So that's gonna be my up that's my upset pick league. I like the Vikings, I like them plus seven. Now, tomorrow's nightcap, Titans-Ravens. This one might get ugly. You know, the Titans, I you know I give a ton of credit to Mike Vrabel. I did not have a lot of faith in him going up against Bill Belichick. You know, I thought that was going to be a classic game where the Patriots were kind of getting doubted, and they just went in and steamrolled. The Titans didn't happen. Titans did a great job. Vrabel did a great job coaching that football team. You know, got them to this spot. But the Ravens, man, the Ravens are just a, just too talented. And, you know, Lamar Jackson is a special talent in the midst of an MVP year. I, I just don't see the Titans competing in this game. Now, if they get Derrick Henry going again, could be a different story. But you have to imagine that the... The Ravens, you know, they've had an extra week to prepare. Now that and now they know that Derrick Henry is going to be a big part of that offense. So you know they're game planning for it, and the Ravens' defense is nothing to shrug at. So I I, I think Lamar runs all over him with this. Um, the, the Ravens are given nine and a half. I would I, I would lay the points. Take the Ravens minus nine and a half. I think they'll cover that. I think this is going to be the ugly game of the week of the weekend. I could easily see this getting to a double-digit deficit. Yeah, I like the Ravens in that. So then Sunday, we got the Texans and the Chiefs. Chiefs are also 9.5-point favorites. The, the the Texans, like I said last week you know, to some people, that game should have ended in the tie. Uh, that was just that was the best, worst football game I've, like, ever, I may have ever seen. Um, it almost seemed like at points that neither team wanted to win that game. But the Texans prevailed. Deshaun Watson, I still will never know how he got out of that sack. But you know, he he proved once again that he's a really, really top-tier quarterback in this league. But he's going into Kansas City against a Chiefs team that, of course, has had a week off. And, you know, the Chiefs, I, I just think there's too many weapons on that offense. You know, you got Tyreek Hill, you got Kelsey, you got the run game with uh 
Damian Williams and Shady McCoy and Mahomes himself, who's a dual threat to begin with. I like the Chiefs, but I think I think Houston can keep it close. I think this is the kind of game that's kind of neck and neck through the first half, and then there's a stretch in the second half where the Chiefs score, Watson throws a pick, they score again, and then that kind of ends it. I think that's the kind of game we have. So, I, 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 right, my, my pick for this game, I'm, uh, I'm going with the Chiefs straight up. I, I, don't, I don't trust them to cover minus 9.5, but I also don't trust the Texans to cover. You know, it, 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 excuse me, it, it, you know, it, it, it's the kind of game I, I just say, take the Chiefs straight up, take the money line, sit on it, go, for, go from there. And then lastly, Seattle Seahawks and Green Bay Packers. This is an interesting game. If you, you know, you, you'll hear me say this as I as we as we continue the series, and I keep bringing up these two teams. I will. I never like betting against Russell Wilson, and I never like betting against Aaron Rodgers. Well, I have to do one of those things now because they're playing each other. These are two guys. These these are two guys I want on my team. You know, if I'm driving down the field, I want these guys at the helm. Really, really tight. And a lot of people have been down on Seattle. I don't know why. I think one of the reasons people are so down on Seattle is because they they have a way of just kind of they, – they can never put a team away. Even last week with McCown in there for Philly, they could have easily put that game away in the third quarter, but they let him hang. And I don't know if it's because Pete Carroll likes to prove he's a good coach week after week. I don't know. <coughs> Excuse me. But the Seahawks are a really good team, but they're in Lambeau Field, and they're playing Aaron Rodgers, and – as much as I can't bet against Russell Wilson, I can't bet against Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau Field. You know, he, he works his magic there. He's going to have the crowd behind him. I got to go with the Packers here, and I got to go with them, you know, given four and a half. I, I think this would be a game I'd take the over. The over's four, over under is 47. I'd take the over. So I like the Packers minus four and a half and the over. I like the Vikings plus seven. I like the Ravens minus nine and a half, and I like the Chiefs straight up. Those are my picks. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people, the Packers say, oh, they don't have a lot of weapons, whatever. But it's Aaron Rodgers. And we see, we know what he can do in Lambeau Field. And the Seahawks, I, I, I think this is a, you know, I think this is a fairly, I mean, four and a half. I think the Packers will eventually, you know, win by six or seven. But th- this, I think this game right here, could be game of the weekend. I think this both the NFC games are going to be really, really good. I'm really excited to watch both of those games, see how they turn out. Um, and going back to that Vikings game, this is really a game for, you know, when you look at the Seahawks and the Packers, those are both quarterbacks that have proved themselves. We both know that Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are two elite quarterbacks in this league. Vikings and Niners, that's a different story. Those are two guys that are trying to prove themselves. Jimmy G even more. You know, Cousins went on, you know, had all that scrutiny early in the year. He kind of proved himself and got the Vikings to where they are now. Jimmy G, you know, yes, the Niners were 13-3, but he was helped a lot by his run game, and a lot of people are still doubting him to kind of take a team to the Super Bowl. So here's, this is a proving ground for him. Here you go. One seed hosting a playoff game against a really hot Vikings team. Can you get it done? Because you know that the Vikings run defense is going to at least limit your, your run game. So can you, you know, throw the ball effectively, get it to your guys, and, you know, lead your team down the field, score touchdowns, get points? 
That's the test for Jimmy G, and we'll see if he passes. So there you go. Once again, I like the Vikings plus seven, Ravens minus nine and a half, Chiefs straight up, and the Packers minus four and a half, and the Packers over 47. So there you have it. So we touched on the NBA, did a little MLB, we covered the NFL divisional round. No hockey today, not a lot of. I, uh, quick hockey note Pekka Rene uh, became the first goalie since 2013 last night to score a goal. He uh, puck was behind the net. It was an empty net. He just fired it the length of the ice, which is pretty cool. Uh, always, I always like to see goalies get involved, you know, scoring goals, getting in fights. That's a rarity, but it's cool to see. Uh, so, believe me, when there's hockey, when we get into hockey playoff season, we'll we'll cover more hockey. But for now, and you know, this is the best time of year. You know, you got all four sports really cooking. Um. So that is going to wrap up episode one. Um, I don't, right now, I don't have a definitive schedule. You know, I'm going to, you know, run every Friday, every this day, whatever. I don't have that down yet. Um, so just be on the lookout for another post, another episode. Probably sometime early next week, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll recap the NFL. Maybe touch on some NBA from over the weekend. And maybe see, maybe see if there's any MLB news. And, you know, hopefully get to some hockey stuff. We'll see what transpires. So I hope you enjoyed. And I'm looking forward to the next one. You'll be on the lookout for it. And until next time, this has been the Sports Forum. And I am Mike Murray.